Well, let me invite you to turn uh, to Psalm 59. Psalm 59, as we open the Word of God together, and we seek light and life from the inspired Word of God. Psalm 59. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a mitcom of David, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. Deliver me from mine enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord. For no fault of mine they run and make ready. Awake. Come to meet me and see. You, Lord of hosts, or God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening, they come back, like howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips. For who, they think, will hear us. But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you. For you, you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. And God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath, consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Each evening... They come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud to your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Amen. May God bless that reading of his word and now the preaching as well. Let us pray. O Lord, we do ask that your word open would be a blessing and encouragement to us and fashion us in Christ's likeness, we pray. And we will give him all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this sermon has absolutely nothing to do with Scotland. The title is intended to be catchy, and I see it worked. Everyone is here. Uh, The KGB, of course, was the secret service of the old Soviet empire, not of old Caledonia. Mr. Putin, the Russian president, was an old KGB hand. You can... 
You can tell that just, I think, by looking at the glimmer in his eye. He recently seems to pine after those good old days, especially in the Crimea. But the title seemed appropriate not because of him, but because it highlights this double reference to these howling dogs who were perched outside of David's house ready to pounce on him and kill him with no notice. Saul wanted to destroy David. While ironically Saul's family, his son Jonathan and his daughter, uh, to whom David was married, wanted to protect him. But when the king is out to get you, life is hardly calm. David's life was not an end in itself. And we cannot properly understand this psalm unless we appreciate this basic biblical fact. He's not just a private individual. He's not just an individual who we analyze in some moralistic way. David was good. He was a good guy, so you need to be a good guy too. David did this and that, and that was nice, and you need to be nice by doing this and that too. Well, those are nice little lessons to learn, but you can learn them from anyone. David is the one who is singing this psalm and has written this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit because he is the one who is the prophet king. He has a unique role in the history, redemptive history of Israel. He was God's chosen instrument through which to bring a new phase and the ultimate fulfillment of the great covenant of grace. The Davidic covenant is established in and through the life of David by God himself. And the ultimate fulfillment of the whole covenant of grace comes in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, David's greater son. Saul wanted to kill David. But Saul was decreed to fail by Almighty God. You see, David foreshadowed Jesus. David begat the line from which the Savior would come. God had great things in store for us through David and through David's greater son. And so God's will and purpose would not be resisted. He had decreed security for David until all his holy will was accomplished. As we come to Psalm 59, we learn a lesson old and true for every believer, but so needed from the top of our heads to the sole of our feet. And it's this, that God's might and God's mercy delivers us from evil. God's might and mercy Deliver us from evil. This psalm makes it very clear that evil lurks to watch and harm. Hence the title of the sermon tonight. You see, David is under threat and we know it not because of one of the numbered verses, 1 through 17, but because of a little small print heading that you almost need a magnifying glass to see. The zeroth verse the little introductory statement that's in the Masoretic Hebrew original to the choir master, according to do not destroy, amid com of David, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. Now, if the tune were not disturbing enough, do not destroy. 
then the scene being referred to, the historical event being referred to uh, in this psalm uh, is enough to cause us to stand back uh, from this character, Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 19, beginning in verse 8, we read, And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. And we read, Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. He sat in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing the lyre. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. And then we hear a little bit more about the story. She took an image, according to verse 13, laid it on the bed, put a pillow of goat's hair at its head, and covered it with the clothes. An idol. What's that doing in the house? A wig made of goat's hair. Well, okay, in the day. And she puts this in bed and puts clothes upon it and and then fools her father's men. When Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent messengers to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in bed with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Well, we can tell by this story that Saul's family is a complicated lot. What is an idol doing there? What does a lie punctuate the end of her explanation for? There is something of a little father-daughter tension going on in addition to husband-wife, not to mention the transcendent dimension of Almighty God Himself and His law and will being ignored. But yet the central truth is true. She knew her father's wicked way enough to recognize that her husband's life was still in danger though he was home. And she helped him escape. And in so... She did the good and righteous thing of protecting innocent life. But Samuel, but Saul, Saul was determined that he would have the life of David. And so he pressed beyond all measure an evil ruler, one who was out opposing the other who had a rightful divine call to eventually take his place. David found himself in a clear and present danger because of the sin and evil of King Saul. Even David's house was not safe. The KGB watched, waiting, ready to kill him once the sun came up. And so we have the inspired song before us. Was it written inside the home? Was it written once he had fled off to be with 
the prophet Samuel, under inspiration there, inspiration, a a full outpouring of the Holy Spirit that even the men of Saul, the messengers he sent, and evil Saul himself got caught up in the spirit of the moment and were vehicles of true revelation special from God. Was it there that David wrote these words, added rightly to the Psalter, sung down through the ages to educate us about our need to flee to God in time of danger and trouble? These words are not, however, only meant about David. Yes, they were written by David, but they were sung by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. David was all about Jesus. This is a messianic psalm. And so Jesus took this psalm in the worship of his heavenly Father upon his incarnate lips. And he sang these words, not as a ballad of old, but about his own real and true experience therein prophesied and foreshadowed. And so David's inspired words are about Jesus and his life as well. In verse 1, Jesus' enemies, seen and unseen, are sung or spoken as seeking to undo him. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Was there ever a man who was opposed by power wrongly, more so than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? His enemies, too, were wicked and evil, and they were men who had blood on their hands. Deliver me from those who work evil, and save me from bloodthirsty men. Oh, Jesus, He walked in and out of Jerusalem at different stages of His ministry. He who had had taught the priests and scribes in that place found himself opposed by the Pharisees and by the Sadducees and by the Roman authorities that they goaded. And his enemies plotted his death, did they not? They plotted his death for years, if we read the Gospels carefully enough. And they sprung the trap when it best suited themselves to achieve their political and warped religious ends. And so, Jesus rightly sang, For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. Can you hear the crowd? As Jesus is there, as He is there in captive, and He is put in front of the children of Israel, and what do they cry? Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Jesus' enemies, they stirred the crowds up against Him. It was a part of their plotting and scheming down through the months and years. But He was a man in whom there was no guile, in whom there was no sin, in whom there was no guilt. Verse 3 says, For behold, they lie in wait for My life. Fierce men stir up strife against Me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to me and see. Hear the Son of God singing 
at home, no doubt, first. Singing in his local synagogue in the public worship of God, much like our own today. Singing in the halls of the temple, in those temple courts, with his voice added to hundreds and thousands of others, echoing off those stones that bear testimony and pointed to his coming and his dwelling and tabernacling among us, he in his human mind, by singing and recognizing the reflection of his own calling in the word, he knew in his mind and in his heart that they were out to get him and that they would eventually do their dirty deed. His enemies, you see, included those not just outside the church, but also inside. You, O Lord of hosts, he says in verse 5, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. That's an interesting line in a song about the king of Israel who sends his spies to sit out his door and undo his life at dawn. David's enemies included those both inside and outside uh, the church. And so did Jesus Christ, our Lord's enemies as well. Jesus' enemies lacked all right fear of God. And we see that in the extended section from verses 6 down to 8. They are like howling dogs. They prowl about the city. They bellow with their mouths. Their lips contain or hide swords. And they speak evil. And they think no one hears, but God hears. And He laughs at them. And He holds all the nations in derision. Now, this is a strange tension in this psalm. There there are a number of interesting features here, and this is the one I want to highlight. On the one hand, the whole circumstance is about evil in the church, evil leadership in Israel, uh, righteous leadership being pressed and pushed down and endangered. But yet David switches, and he talks about all the nations out there. Here he is in the land of Israel. And he points his finger to the pagan nations around that oppose the right children of God and oppose the Lord God Almighty whom they worship. Why this switch? Why this change? David sings about apostates within the church and then seamlessly shifts to singing about the nations outside the church that reject the Lord and persecute His people. And this is to teach us a lesson. We are brothers and sisters in the faith. We, we are united by the Spirit to the, to the one Christ our Lord who is our head. We share more in common than separates us, do we not? We can meet each other and, and you may be an accountant and, and I may be an a minister or an engineer and and you might be a homemaker and and someone else might be a great artist or a a great uh, musician. We have different ways we spend our time and and different ways that, that we use the gifts that God has given us. But for all of our differences of size and shape and even native tongue, 
the common bond we have in Christ our Lord is more important than anything else. And the outsiders, the outsiders outside of the church, and those outsiders who have snuck in and really have no business in the church because their profession is not credible and they do not love the Lord and they, they seek to harm and undo uh, Christ and His cause. Men like Saul and like those who blindly and wrongly supported Him, those apostates within the church, they have more in common with those on the outside than those on the inside. It's always been that way. Inside the church, have there not always been Ananias and Sapphira? Has there not always been Demas who left me for he loved the things of this world? Has there not always been a Judas for every Peter or for every Paul? And outside the church, there's always a Herod and a Pilate somewhere and an Alexander the coppersmith using his influence and his means to oppose the people of God. My brothers and my sisters, you should expect no less in your own life. David, the Holy Spirit here is teaching us that we should expect no less in our life. You, you need to buckle yourself in. You need to prepare for a very wild ride because it is not boring, this Christian life. We meet the most amazing cast of characters, do we not? And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus can save all those sinners like us if they will but yet turn to Him by His grace. He can save sinners as dark and as twisted as you and me. He can save us and so the gospel goes forth in power and leads us on a great adventure through life. You see, believers face the same danger each and every day. Perhaps you've been following the dramatic departures from uh, the PCUSA in recent days. I don't, I don't choose that denomination to pick on except that uh, it's the one in which I grew up. And, and I have kith and kin there. And, and it is... Uh, uh, it's uh, my family's uh, contributions and endowment that are being spent for uh, unusual things uh, uh, in my home church and uh, back in South Carolina. It seems that in recent days they have di- decided intentionally to take a giant step to the left by offloading a number of more evangelical congregations. If they want to go, there's a vote they can take and they can leave. Sadly... The First Church Houston failed to exit by, I think, 33 or 36 votes. Just a very narrow margin out of so many. What a heartache that, that a supermajority was required. And so, such a minority, and, and I don't know the facts of that case, but my experience back in my childhood when we went through this in the formation of the PCA is the most amazing people who've not been to church in donkey's years all come out and vote. I made my exit after my freshman year of high school. The Caseman case was uh, working its way through the courts of the church. And in reading the, the magazines of the day that were right, left, and center in the denomination, it was very clear 
that you no longer had to believe in the deity of Christ to be a minister in the church, much less a member. Without strong evangelical witness in their midst, only the Lord knows where the radical liberals who are consolidating their power by this move will end up. It is a sad drama to watch. That's in our day. It's in our families. It's in our, among our friends. It's among our connections. We grieve over such in the visible church. But I got news for you. It's not much better outside. Did you catch what was not widely reported in the press coming from the lips of the divine leader in North Korea? You know, they caught a missionary and I think they expelled him. Well, they also caught 30 three different Christians through whom house churches had been planted in that land, that hermit land. And the divine leader has now decreed that they all are all to be executed. And when he decrees, they usually don't waste much time in doing their dirty deed. These martyrs for the faith dared to worship God in their own homes. What judgment awaits evil men and their evil ways? You see, God will not be mocked. He will send His Son. His Son will stand and that treacherous man will be yanked up out of the grave in bodily form and he will face his Maker and he will hear the judgment of condemnation against his evil ways and he will be picked up by the powerful angels of God, and they will cast him into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And his only hope is that he would but turn and trust in the Savior whom he persecutes, even Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, we all better be ready for that day. We stand there either covered in the blood, or we stand there naked and ashamed and without hope. You see, God will deal with evil, and He will do so in the amazing kinds of ways He outlines here. Uh, Verse 10 tells us that God will always decree triumph. My God, in His steadfast love, will meet me He will let me look in triumph over my enemies. Those words in the mouth of David, those words in the mouth of our Lord, those words in the mouth of every believer who worships God. The Psalms are not optional. They are required for us. And so we sing them and we sing this from the heart and we look and we long forward as we see that light and ray of the dawn breaking when our Lord comes again and we look forward to Him setting all the world aright, we will triumph. And men like David, who triumphed over Saul, did so by the grace of God and for the purpose and plan of God, not for their own comfort and aggrandizement. Jesus was a better man than than David. Jesus never sinned, never was out of fellowship with His heavenly Father. Jesus triumphed in the end 
but he triumphed also passing first through the crucifixion and the grave. I cannot stand here and and deliver the encouraging news to you that there's health, wealth, and prosperity for you just tomorrow if you have enough faith. I can't tell you that your enemies will surround you and, and you will flee like a bird and you will never be harmed. That That may be in the providence of God for you in the moment, and yet it may be that you have the privilege and the calling of being more like His Son. But what I can tell you is, in the end, you will stand on that day resurrected. And in the end, you will look upon your enemies. And in the end... You will triumph in Christ Jesus our Lord and you will feel from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet joy and adoration and praise in God and in His Son because His name will triumph. And then the psalmist tells us there are some other things that might happen. Triumph is sure in the end. But then there's a whole wash list of things that that he sort of asked God to consider maybe doing. Verse 11. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. Kill them not? Man, blast them from heaven is what I would say. Let the death ray come down, the lightning bolts, and and sizzle them outside of the house. Deal with those Pharisees and those Sadducees and those wicked rulers. Wipe them off the face of the globe. And here, under inspiration, David asks for the exact opposite. He doesn't want that to happen because he has the greater motive in mind. He doesn't want his people to forget their need of God He doesn't want his people to forget the triumph that he alone can bring. He doesn't want the providential hand of God to act so quickly that they don't even notice or they take it presumptively in stride and it makes no difference in their walk. David wants us all to learn a lesson. And certainly, as Jesus sang these words, we have a lesson to learn as well. Sometimes he scatters rather than immediately slaying them. And we have to look for the hand of providential God as he does his amazing, quiet work of raising up and casting down the nations and shaping and molding daily life. We may have present relief in the most amazing of ways intended for spiritual blessing and benefit that we otherwise might not see. He also sings and asks God to trap them in their pride, that their cursing and their lies that they utter would end up catching them and undoing them. Uh, In verse 13, he again speaks of their destruction and calls on God to destroy them in his wrath, almost as if it's the opposite possibility from verse 11, and then finally, by repetition, even even a literary blockhead like myself catches on to the fact that there's something about dogs I need to pay attention to. Each evening they come back, in verse 14, howling like dogs, prowling about the city. 
They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. You know, I think I've told you before that many years ago, uh, uh, working our way through seminary, uh, this ceramic engineer with a background in nuclear and and other high-tech ceramics had the humbling experience of uh, working at Tri-State Brick Company in Jackson, Mississippi. It was an amazing education. Uh, One day, uh, I was uh, ordered out of the lab and told to jump in the back of a pickup truck. And off we went in pursuit of a pack of wild dogs. The dogs uh, uh, had eaten the pheasants of the owner of the brick plant, and that did not go down with him. Two of them had just been delivered from China, and he was very upset. And so we, we went on other people's land as well as on public highways. We, we went across fields. We went after those dogs, and we found them. And as I realized that they weren't running away from us, but towards us, I realized that we had been found by them as well. I had no weapon. I was standing there, not even with a Bible in my hand. Thankfully, on either side of me were men with guns as large as I, I dreamed that elephant guns must be. And Shot after shot after shot was taken, and this pack of what seemed like a thousand dogs came running, and one would drop, and then another, and then another. But the remnant was getting closer. They crossed the field. They were at the other side of the road. I began to pray. The last dog, the leader of the pack, um, with foam coming out of his mouth, died less than four feet in front of me. It was at that moment that in my heart, I became a lifelong member of the NRA. (laughs) I tell that, I tell that literally true story. It's not one of those preacher stories. I was there. I was terrified. Howling dogs are no laughing matter. Uh, This is not little dog we're talking about. The puppy who barks and climbs up in your lap and licks your nose. No, this is not a house pet we're talking about. These These are vicious, horrible, twisted creatures that seek to undo you. They come after you and want to end your life. David was faced with this. Jesus was faced with this. And you and I are faced with this too. But the song shifts from a minor key right at the end. Verse 16, But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Hallelujah! Praise Jehovah! God is mighty. Praise, you see, in the face of real and present danger fills the life of the believer. A song will be in your mouth by the grace of God. Joy will be in your heart and praises will fill your soul. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. And here, David is not singing 
about some abstract philosophical concept of higher being and deity. Here he's not talking even about the attribute of the almighty Christian God and, and that He is sovereign over all things and that, and that He has the power to restrain evil if He so chooses. That is not what has David all excited. What has David full of praise and what should have you all full of praise is the steadfast covenant love that God has bound Himself by His Word and by His own character to send His Son to save sinners like David, that we might have hope. And so it is this God. Yes, this God Almighty, but this God filled to overflowing with covenant love for His people who will deliver you from evil. Let us pray.